Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick! Sorry, kids! Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. And uh, Gilbert Ashkar, uh, as always, thank you for watching. You can see the program again at any time by going to the website, which is at aljazeera.com. For further discussion, you're welcome to join us on our Facebook page. You'll find that at facebook.com forward slash AJ Inside Story. And you can join the conversation on X. Our handle there at AJ Inside Story. From me, Adrian Finnegan, and the team here in Doha, I'll see you again. Bye for now. Ukraine, a father on the front line, a mother and children on the ground. Can this family see a future when the sky is full of fire and the war is without end? Ukraine, escaping the darkness, witness on Al Jazeera. Hard-hitting interviews. As a UN ambassador, a position given to you by or earned, I suppose, you've described that as better than... Is better than anything. Thought-provoking answers. My question to you, are there good coups? I think this is the most uh, difficult question I've had to answer. Facing realities. U.S. veto in the Security Council. This is a major stumbling block, is it not? It absolutely is. Hear their story on Talk to Al Jazeera. Welcome to Siberia. Once hailed as salvation, has technology instead ensnared us in fear? Do you miss the rise of anxiety? Overwhelmed, loss of agency. Apocalypse maybe unravels how online hopes and fears shape our existence. The utility of the information that you're receiving becomes smaller and smaller. Oh my god, you mean my fate is dependent on the health of the planet? Yes. Okay, Doomer, on a Jazeera. Yeah! <laughs> 
a three-year program with the IMF, it will be the last time we'll have to go to the IMF again for any such program. This is why we got into the IMF. You were spending too much relative to revenues, which is true. You were borrowing too much, which is true. Your external payments position has deteriorated, which is true. I'm also pleased to report that the three-year IMF-supported extended credit facility program begun in 2015 comes to an end this year. We will not go to the IMF today, we will not go to IMF tomorrow, and we are not going as long as the NPP remains in power. Don't let anybody tell you we are not people of short sight. Suddenly, we were having facing major challenges on our balance of payments, our currency went into a steep decline, interest rates went out of the window, inflation, uh, all the, the indices that had been worked on. And that is what basically forced us to go to seek the assistance of the fund. its debt and it has been one constant feature in almost all our engagement with the IMF and development partners. Our struggle to manage our debt has been a bane on this country and, and has fueled macroeconomic instability over the years. So you'll find that right from 1965 when Ghana first approached the IMF under the, the watch of Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, one of the reasons we cited was debt unsustainability or ballooning public debt. Even though that program was rejected after it was approved by the fund, it wasn't long and Nkrumah's government was overthrown. And so one major economic decision that Ghana took right after the overthrow of Dr. Kwame Nkrumah in 1966 was to approach the IMF. And one of the reasons that we listed was debt unsustainability or ballooning public debt. Godfred Alufa Bokwin is an economist and professor of finance at the University of Ghana. Professor Bokwin traces the problem of Ghana's indebtedness to the independence era. Even after HIPIC, which we completed in, in, in 2004, and then the Multilateral Debt Relief Initiative, which we finished in 2006, Ghana's debt-to-GDP ratio came down to less than 30%. That meant we had fiscal space, okay? And really, we did not, and, and this is evident, we did not make prudent use of that fiscal space that was conferred on the state 
as a result of the combined HIPIC MDR initiative. So we, 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 we thought that we could borrow our way through debt. And here we are today, as though we needed another HIPIC like yesterday. Ghana, we now have freedom. Since independence, a year has never gone by without Ghana's public debt burden generating news headlines. The public debt has reached a level of 112 billion cities as of September this year. The total debt of Ghana is nearing some 200 billion Ghana cities. Ghana has added 10.7 billion Ghana cities to its public debt stock in just four months. The IMF is projecting that Ghana's debt to GDP ratio could reach worrying levels by the end of the year. The end of the slave trade corresponded with the Industrial Revolution. The demand by European powers for Africa's tangible commodities like gold, cash crops, fossil fuels and metals were on the ascendancy. After more than 60 years of independence, Ghana remains heavily reliant on foreign exchange returns from three principal commodities, gold, cocoa and now oil, which together account for more than 80% of the country's exports. Historically, Ghana has enjoyed a lot of debt cancellations and technical defaults, including the famous Yentia policy announced by Champon in 1972. The problem is that, historically, we always hit a roadblock where we just have to go and get, beg our creditors to forgive us. We've not been able to figure that out, where we borrow money, we attract more capital, we transform the nature of our economy by building the right factories, the right schools, the right hospitals. Our people become much more productive. They start to produce a lot locally. We have a lot more money. We stop having to borrow so much. And then we are suddenly in alignment with our commitments to our creditors, for instance. The historical evidence is that we always struggle with that goal. And we try for many, many years. So after Osagefo borrowed quite a bit to try and build all these factories and to create an industrialization plan for the country and execute on that plan, you find that by the time he was overthrown, the country was so indebted that we literally could not pay our debts. And the, the, the first thing that happened was that the military rulers in 1967 then went for an IMF program, which you saw, but that IMF program was supposed to be extended. They were supposed to get a bit more money and do more reforms. So if you look there, you see that 1966, right after the overthrow, we get a standby arrangement, meaning that we just told them, oh, we're just having some um, um, sudden um, shocks. So can you just give us some money to figure it through? So all throughout that period, we could never agree, agree with, with, with the fund, the IMF, uh, a real program of reform, you know, a structural reform program. Bright Simmons, an avowed apostle of economic reforms, speaks profoundly on Ghana's debt cancellation. Collecting a small, small amount of money until we went into a proper program in 1983, and then that led us into a full-scale program, which was the standard fund facility in 87. Before we got to that period, we were just doing standby arrangements, just collecting money to fix you know, a few problems. And then by 1970, the government was of the view that it couldn't pay at all. You know, even with, with all the you know, support that was coming in, it just could not. So the British government agreed to host a debt conference in London in a place called Marlborough House, where it invited all our other creditors. And then Ghana sent a delegation led by the finance minister, then the Honorable D.H. Mensah, and you can see the Honorable um, John Ajikun Kufour on the left, who was then the deputy 
foreign minister, and the two of them were the leaders of our delegation. We went into this debt conference, and we started to talk about debt relief. Eventually, this led to about half of our debt more or less being wiped away. The 1974 um, situation, which followed this one, because remember that in 1972, that, that government was then overthrown, a military government came, and the famous Yen Tia was then announced by the government, which was a unilateral. So this government, the, the government before, had done a, uh, a multilateral mechanism, or had embarked upon a multilateral mechanism to get relief from that. The, the new government initially what, didn't want to go through that process anymore, because obviously we were going to say, we just finished a multilateral renegotiation. What are you talking about? So they repudiated that arrangement. They said, we're not going to follow it. You know, all the agreements that were made in Marlboro House, they said they were not interested. This was something that had been done by new colonialists. When Cynthia came to TurboTax, she had just launched her new side gig, a true crime podcast. I'm a first-rate detective with a golden voice. As her TurboTax expert, I made her second income count by guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and her maximum refund. <clears throat> what did she do with that refund? Find out next week. Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. They were a more um, progressive government. They didn't want to be bound by what had been agreed in Marlborough House in London. Eventually, that led to huge problem because we lost credibility in the international markets and so the government eventually then agreed to um, um, a discussion with its creditors and some kind of technical default. Ghana's economy is fragile. The IMF has helped with loans but ordinary workers still haven't seen much benefit. Political stability remains elusive and Rowling's own position is far from secure. In 1982, also, we went into another technical default because when the new government came to power, they do the usual thing they do. They blame the previous governments for all the debt, and they call them odious debt. And they just couldn't pay as well because during that period, we had huge problems with reserves. Um, and then the drought had happened, um, or the drought was just about to happen. Then we had people came down from Nigeria. So we, were a lot of, we had a lot of financial difficulties in the, in the period. And in 1982, we went into another default situation. We are described as not credit worthy. No creditors will continue to give us credit lines to run the business of government for the nation. And since we had only four years to prove that we could govern, we might be worse off than what we inherited. So we decided to go the Hippic way, and it worked. Ghana was the second biggest beneficiary of debt relief, literally in the world, though this is a list of African countries. In terms of the proportion of your GDP, and that's a proportion of how much debt that was you know, forgiven, Ghana was number two on the, on, on the list of African countries at least. So you see that we had huge benefits from Hippic, more than uh, $6 billion of money was freed up. Uh, for us. Ghana's dependence on commodity exports never ended and as prices surged this generated more willingness for lenders to give loans off the back of a growing economy. As part of a worldwide boom in primary commodity prices significantly impacted by Chinese growth and demand on top of sustained increased consumption in rich North American, European and Asian economies. 
gold and cocoa prices started to rise in the mid-2000s. Ghana discovered oil, and by 2011, the country had started producing and exporting its first barrels of crude oil. I do not want Ghanaians to think that the oil discovery is the end of everything. That is the end of the journey. If anything, it's the beginning of the journey. We want to make sure that we derive the maximum benefit from the oil. But that should not take away attention from the other very important areas, agriculture. No nation can flourish without a strong agricultural base. What kind of growth are you looking for for 2011 for Ghana? Well, anything in the teens should be okay for us, 14%, 15%. In January 2011, Ghana was said to become the fastest growing economy in sub-Saharan Africa, as projected by the World Bank, with an end-period growth rate of 13.4%. Indeed, Ghana ended 2011 with a growth rate of 14%, 0.6 percentage points higher than what was projected after slowing down from 14% to 9.3% in 2012. The unexpected happened. The prices of gold and oil both slammed significantly in early 2013. Ghana's growth rate followed with an unstoppable free fall. And before the dawn of 2015, the country's growth rate had been truncated from 14% in 2011 to 2.9% in 2014. By 2015, Ghana's economy was in trouble, hobbled by widening current account and budget deficits, rampant inflation, and a depreciating currency. Credit dried up as interest rates rose and banks' bad loans piled up. Precisely because the structure of the economy explains a lot of the things that you see at the macro level and even at the micro level. So that is fine because essentially we, are, we don't add margins to the uh, primary commodities. And look, the world thrives on margins. To the extent that you are not adding margins, you are not getting value. And therefore you don't command price in the market. Okay? The resilience of our economy is very susceptible to shocks particularly from commodity crisis. And if you look at it since the 60s, the shocks that we have experienced, either coming from the commodity side, financial or whatever, impacts us heavily because the structure of the economy is it's, it's just not there. And we've been talking about this for years. The borrowing came a vicious cycle and Ghana couldn't escape the trap even after debt forgiveness. At the root of Ghana's woes, was out-of-control government spending, largely to pay salaries of an overgrown civil service. After several considerations, Ghana was back to the IMF seeking a fresh bailout. This was our 16th. Ser Tepe was finance minister in 2015. He led the team to secure a $918 million loan facility, which was approved on April 3, 2015, after going through all negotiations. In our case, we were in a fund program. Remember the Kufa administration was yeah. in a fund program as it said. Professor Maris went into a fund program. But remember we also said that we came to the conclusion that we wanted to do homegrown policy. We wanted to see whether we could stand on our own feet. Based on partially on what I said, fiscal discipline, but also utilizing part of the oil revenue to start to resolve some of the things we were not doing well. So you saw the stabilization fund, heritage fund, which is savings. You know, you saw allocation to GMPC. 
you know, to do exploration and others, innovative things, contingency fund, sinking fund, so that we stop that habit of borrowing and not paying. So we, the PRMA set up those, those structures, you know, and, and they help. But then we suffered some crisis. The global financial crisis was one, which was 2000, 2008, 2009, when Professor Merce, you know, came in. And then we had the single spine challenges. And then the disruption in gas supply, you know, from Nigeria, which gave us that word, doom so, you know, we think is, is um, non-performance, but that was the, the cause. You know, and then we waited two, three years, and it wasn't being resolved. You know, so we decided to do the badges and the other things. Um, but the most critical one was the boring, heavy boring that was being done for single spine and the rest. So the, the fiscal became a bit shaky, right? But we were confident that we could do it homegrown. But by the time we went to Sinchi and uh, looked at the policies and the rest, we realized, you know, that it was going to be difficult. And then as you know, was the case, the development partners also decided that, you know, they didn't think we could handle this, this problem ourselves, which is part of the, the markets also, where you borrow sovereign money and the rest. Uh, they look to the IMF, which is a lender of last resort. Not just that, but the IMF also under the Article 4 of its protocol, which you signed to, whether you're in a fund program or not, they'll come and inspect your books. Yeah. And they will tell it as it is. So once that is published, that was published, the markets began to wonder, you know, whether, you know, we could go it alone. And so we had to, that's why having the homegrown policy, which we drew with the assistance of African Development Bank, we decided, you know, to do the IMF program, the ECF. But we didn't, whilst we were doing that, we continued without seeking for another policy, stabilization fund, some of which came in handy, you know, during the COVID crisis. We never stopped just because we had IMF money, no. We're going to go into a three-year program with the IMF. It will be the last time we'll have to go to the IMF again for any such program. This will be the IMF program to end all programs. As suspected, a few months after IMF came to Ghana's rescue, things started to shape up again. According to the Bank of Ghana's summary data, the city's cumulative depreciation against the dollar dropped from 19.9% by 2015 to 15.7% at the dying numbers of the year. By August 2015, month-on-month inflation had dropped from 1.8% in April to a negative figure of 0.8% by the end of August 2015. One target of Ghana's 16th IMF program was to help restore our debt burden to sustainable levels. The government limited hiring and wage increases and eliminated subsidies for utilities and petroleum products. To raise revenue, it cracked down on tax evasion and rationalized exemptions. New revenue sources including a tax on luxury cars and increased taxes on high earners to put Ghana's finances on sound footing. The new Public Financial Management Act called for improved accounting standards, procedures and technology. Professor Bopin explains why the 16th IMF program failed. The 16th IMF program conferred on Ghana significant credit worthiness and after almost a year without access, the country was back to the Eurobond market for more foreign liquidity. The 16th IMF program actually failed on one of its objectives, which was to substantially bring down debt. So the 16th IMF program really 
did not do much in terms of uh, bringing Ghana's debt to a sustainable level. Former Finance Minister Seth Tepe speaks about the reliance on the Eurobond and T-bills. We fell into the habit, if you ask, of borrowing first domestic treasury bills. What's the meaning of a treasury bill? Treasury bill is for liquidity. That's why it's only 90 days. There are 91 days. And usually at the beginning of the year, you cannot reduce certain expenditures, wages and the rest. So you borrow short term. You say 90 days, three months, and then for exigencies. Then when the revenue starts coming, you pay off because for only 90 days. Yeah. Then we started rolling over. We started borrowing instead of making provision to pay it down, right? We, we will take the first treasury bill. Yes, and then come 90 days, every, every week we are taking it, come 90 days, instead of putting money aside to repay that one, then we add that one to the current debt we want to finance, and then, you know, we take more loans. So the non-payment resulted in more borrowing and more borrowing. But we carried, began to carry that fiscal indiscipline to the uh, sovereign bond market. Mm -hmm. So we're issuing only interest only loans and the rest. And then the 10 years caught up with us, which was what we realized in 2014 that we're just paying only interest. And you can't be in the capital markets if you don't have a mechanism for repayment, which, which is a simple explanation for the thinking fund, which coincidentally is in the constitution, but it's optional, mm. which means that the framers of the constitution, including finance ministers and others, may have known that there was that weakness and we needed to set it up. Contingency fund in the constitution, we never set it up. So with the advent of oil, the question you asked, we decided, let us begin to channel part of the oil revenue, which is new, to resolve, you know, some of these things, you know, if you like bad practices. In less than six months into the 16th IMF program, the government gathered a North credit worthiness and was back in the Eurobond market to borrow $1 billion. By September 2016, amount borrowed under the Mahama administration had reached $3.75 billion with an average interest rate slightly above 9%. December 2016 came with a thunderbolt. It was time for the electorates to decide. The elections were fought on the turf of the economy. This is why we got into the IMF. You were spending too much relative to revenues, which is true. You were borrowing too much, which is true. Your external payments position has deteriorated, which is true. After eight years of power, the National Democratic Congress, led by John Dramani Mahama, suffered a huge shock. The party lost the national election by a huge margin. A new messiah, Nana Adudankwa Ekufo Ado, was ushered into office to perform the badly needed surgical operation on the Ghanaian economy. By the power vested in me as the chairperson of the Electoral Commission and the returning officer for the presidential election, it is my duty and my privilege to declare Nana Adodankwa Akufuado as the President-elect of the Republic of Ghana.
There was a new breath of hope. A new team was to steer the economic affairs of the country. In fact, many believe that with Dr. Baumia in the economic management seat, Ghana's economy would never slip back into coma. Fellow Kukrudites, we were elected to fix the problems and I'm glad to report that we are fixing the problems and we are putting in place the policies that will drive the economic transformation of this country. Listen, do you know of any good medical school I can take of you to? Oh, Fifi, is that why you're looking all moody? Then I have some good news for you. The College of Medicine and Allied Sciences, COMAS, Accra, Ghana, is a degree-awarding institution, and they offer Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery using the Graduate Entry Medical Programs, Bachelor of Diagnostic Imaging, and BSc Health Information Management. All these programs are accredited by GTEC. Their bilingual curriculum prepares you to consult in French. But I'm worried about admissions. Admissions are ongoing. Contact us on Facebook or on Instagram at info.comas or call us on 0208-456-556 or send them an email info at comas.edu.gh. Comas, the citadel of a holistic professional medical education. Tangana city, Tangana city, Dive 
into a new era of news consumption with myjoyonline.com, your go-to destination for cutting-edge journalism, giving you the most credible stories from business to politics and from sports to entertainment. Myjoyonline.com introduces an upgraded news website meticulously designed to empower you with an enriched browsing experience like never before. Experience the future of news browsing with myjoyonline.com. Fellow Kukrudites, we were elected to fix the problems and I'm glad to report that we are fixing the problems. The Ghana city has been classified as a West of African currencies with the West Sport Returns tracked by Bloomberg. This government is under intense pressure to return to the IMF for a bailout in the wake of harsh economic times. We will not go to the IMF today, we will not go to IMF tomorrow, and we are not going as long as the NPP remains in power. As my colleague um, Deputy Minister said, we are not going to the IMF. Whatever we do, we are not. If because of political pride and the rest of them we don't want to go, that is a different thing altogether. What's the comment on our behalf, whether I like it or not, since we are not going to the IMF, then my position changed. Then show us alternative. The good thing though is that it does show that being an IMF program imposes more discipline. Because this government itself argues that all the way until early 2019, they were doing brilliant. What that means is that they were doing brilliant during the IMF program. December 2016 came with a thunderbolt. It was time for the electrics to decide. The elections were fought on the turf of the economy. After eight years of power, the National Democratic Congress, led by John Dramani Mahama, suffered a huge shock. The party lost the national election by a huge margin. A new Messiah, Nana Adudankwa Ekufu Ado, was ushered into office to perform the badly needed surgical operation on the Ghanaian economy. By the power vested in me as the chairperson of the Electoral Commission, and the returning officer for the presidential election, it is my duty and my privilege to declare Nana Adodankwa Akufuado as the president-elect of the Republic of Ghana. I, I, Nana Adodankwa Akufuado. There was a new breath of hope. A new team was to steer the economic affairs of the country. In fact, many believe that with Dr. Baumia in the economic management seat, Ghana's economy would never slip back into coma. Fellow Kukrudites, we were elected to fix the problems and I'm glad to report that we are fixing the problems and we are putting in place the policies that will drive the economic transformation of this country. In his first State of the Nation address on the 21st of February, 2017, President Ekufuado described Ghana's economy as one which was in a bad way. According to the Ghana Statistical Service, 
The country closed 2016 with an inflation rate of 15.4%. The Bank of Ghana pegged the country's debt stock at 122.6 billion Ghana cities with a debt-to-GDP ratio of 73.3%. The city had lost 9.7% of its value against the dollar. Interest rate on loans had ballooned to 10.8 billion CDs, and international reserves could cover just 2.8 months of imports, resulting in 3.4% of GDP growth rate. By the end of 2019, Ghana's macroeconomic indicators had seen massive improvement, attracting awards for its stellar performance. We wanted to recognize him with this prestigious award from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. It is an award that we don't give lightly, we take seriously, and we do it out of respect to what the President has done in Ghana. So please give him a round of applause. In March 2020, the unexpected happened. The COVID-19 put spokes in the wheels of Ghana's economic trajectory. A lockdown, a term that was alien to the country, surfaced and placed a temporary halt on economic activities. Pursuant to the powers granted the President of the Republic under the Imposition of Restrictions Act, 2020 Act 1012, restrictions on movement of persons in the greater Accra metropolitan area, Gamma, and the greater Kumasi metropolitan area, and contiguous districts for a period of two weeks subject to review. President Ekufuado announcing the lockdown that halted many economic activities. To help keep the economy in motion, Ghana received both in kind and in cash from various sources, including a 5.9 billion CD credit facility from the IMF. The devastation and impact of the COVID-19 pandemic was huge. Deputy Minister of Finance, Dr. John Kuma, recounts the impact of the pandemic. COVID-19 was an exceptional um, pandemic that affected economies all over the world. So uh, Ghana is not the only country that got affected. If you check, in 2019, the economy was mm. at its peak. Yeah. And we had done a lot of borrowing and the investment, the returns of those investments was better going to show in 2020. But unfortunately, COVID struck and the economy retracted. In fact, uh, it grew by only 0.5%. So what it means is that all the investment you have done and expecting its impact mm. in the 2020 uh, in terms of the growth or the economic performance of the country, you lost all that opportunity. In the heat of the pandemic in 2020, Ghana went to the polls and President Ekufuado was re-elected. <laughs> Unlike his first term, almost all key economic indicators had taken a nosedive in President Ekufuado's second term. The atmosphere in Ghana was charged and filled with complaints from every corner of the country. And by 2022, the cost of living had become unbearable. Because the fuel is high, so I'm doing a double work now. Five cities, you get Wache and Gare, and we manage to give you macaroni small. Business are really bleeding. 
uh, some of the businesses are intensive care. By the first quarter of 2022, inflation had crept from a single digit to 19.4%. In March, the city was on a free fall against the U.S. greenback and international reserves began dwindling. International rating agencies including Fitch and Moody's all dropped ratings on Ghana's creditworthiness. The nation was thrown out of the international capital market. As foreign liquidity began to dry up, exposing the weakness in Ghana's economic fundamentals, the only option was for Ghana to turn to the IMF for a bailout package. Professor Bopin sounded the alarm bells. He said going to the IMF was inescapable. I personally don't think that um, the IMF is a long-term so uh, solution to our problems. And the reason I say so is that we've been there 16, 17 times. Is that okay? And practically every three years and some few months, we've had to go to the IMF and all of that. But as we always say, what takes us to the IMF has to do with the fundamentals. And as we, we sit right now, everything points to that. The calls to register for an IMF bailout became intense. After seeing Article 4, after seeing the COVID report, Article 4 2019 and the COVID report, and seeing the fiscal gap which is there, that was when I expressed the view that maybe it's time for us to go, that's how far back, to go to the fund because it's not just about COVID. But we got all the COVID money, as I said already, and we could have used it to make a correction because the COVID money we got for ECF was 913 or so. You know, million US dollars. Yeah, you're talking about six billion. Why was it not sufficient to do the correction? Something fundamentally wrong. Government's position was very simple no IMF program. It has so much hope in using domestic means to turn the nation's economic fortunes around. We are not going to the IMF. Whatever we do, we are not. The consequences are there. We are a proud nation. We have the resources, we have the capacity. Don't let anybody tell you. In the raging storm, Finance Minister Ken Oforiata was insistent that government won't subscribe to an IMF program. If because of political pride and the rest of them we don't want to go, that is a different thing altogether. It should not be our first resort. But we have not demonstrated that on our own we'll be able to impose a fiscal consolidation that would enlist the appropriate response from duty bearers as perhaps we have seen in, in, in our relationship with the fund. If we could do that, why not? For 60-something years of independence, we can't keep going to the IMF. Anytime we go to the IMF, I feel that we... I, I feel we've lost something, right, as, as a sovereign country and the rest of them. But IMF doesn't impose itself on any country. Through countries' own actions and inactions, mismanagement of the economy, and the rest of them takes them to, to the IMF. So if we arrive at that point where homegrown solution has probably failed to, 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 to get at the same result, we'll do that. I believe that in 2014, when the government made a call to the IMF, it wasn't because it was their first resort, right? Yeah, the fundamentals, they take so. My position has always been, once the government, on our behalf, whether I like it or not, says we are not going to the IMF, then my position changed. Then show us alternative.
IMF cannot save us, right? Because we've done IMF 16 times, getting 17 times now. We are, we are on an IMF program for the best part of this government until recently, right? Up to the end of 2018, this government was on an IMF program. The good thing, though, in that respect is that it does show that being an IMF program imposes more discipline. Because this government itself argues that all the way until early 2019, they were doing brilliant. What that means is that they were doing brilliant during the IMF program. That's an important point. So to make the case as if IMF is a problem is strange. If you did IMF from 2017 all the way to uh, December, end of December 2018, and the economy was doing well as per your own analysis, then what is the argument anymore about IMF being a poison or a toxic element that you need to avoid? The government's attitude tends to be that, oh, we don't need IMF because IMF is bad, in a way. They don't say it directly, but it implies that it's bad. And I'm arguing that from 2017 January, when they came into power, to 2018 December, that's two years, they were running an IMF program. Now, when you ask them about their financial track record and their performance, the government likes to say, now until COVID hit, we're doing brilliant. And I'm saying that if that track record is one we are so proud of, you did that under an IMF program. Despite government's insistence, the honorary vice president of Imani Africa, Bright Simmons, was hopeful government's best bet was seeking an IMF support. But beyond the political ego, was there any historical experience preventing government from approaching the IMF for liquidity support? During 2018, when you were under an IMF program, you were growing at 8.3%, right? You were doing fantastically well on inflation. Exchange rate was stable, right? We did not see massive unemployment based on some IMF restrictions or whatever it is that you've been calling it. You did the IMF program for two years. We know these are some of the reasons why you don't like the IMF. In April 2018, the government was forced to acknowledge that it lied to the IMF about its external arrest and was forced to apologize, right? You have to write to the managing director of the IMF and apologize that somehow you forgot whatever somebody, some data was not there, blah, 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 blah. Of course, that is why you don't like the IMF. Because that extra discipline, that extra scrutiny may not be something that is to your liking, but we have to look beyond your ego and think about a country. Yes, the IMF will insist that you disclose the data. You will not be able to play the games that you play with us here, where you say something, where is the data, you refuse to disclose the data. They will insist. So that might not be very pleasant for managers in the government, but that does not mean that it's against the national interest. We should distinguish between IMF program elements that may not benefit Ghana, of which nowadays there are not that many because you yourself have to come up with a proposal and you yourself have to negotiate it. And then IMF program elements that may not benefit the government ministers and officials that may be responsible for designing and implementing it. I think the two are not on the same scale. And while the IMF will not transform Ghana, while the IMF will not change Ghana's fortunes dramatically, our argument is that it's no worse from the things that's already happening. While government stood by its decision not to subscribe to the IMF program, Ghana's economic situation began to worsen, and by the end of the second quarter of 2022, the country had added close to 42 billion CDs to its debt portfolio. Inflation had more than doubled compared to the rate in January 2022. Ghana's reserves were fast drying up and downgrades kept hitting government in the face. The health of the country's key economic indicators showed it was impossible to forge forward without support from the Bretton Woods Institution, IMF. 
After months of refusal, government finally made a big U-turn. It announced its intention to seek an IMF program blaming it on the pandemic and the brewing tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Deputy Finance Minister John Kuma makes a strong case on why government beat a hasty retreat. Let me say that uh, this is not the first time Ghana is going to the IMF. And um, every time that we have been out of an IMF program, it has been our hope that uh, we will not be in a position to return to the fund. Nevertheless, we are members of the fund. I mean, we are part of the uh, global membership of the mm. IMF. So uh, even when you don't have a program with a fund every year, you still have to go and engage in Article 4 reviews, en reviews and engagements with the fund. So uh, I think that uh, when it becomes impossible, when it becomes very difficult, such as external factors such as what we are talking about, which is beyond your control, mm -hmm. then you have to look up to the fund for a program that will come in to restore some of the confidence and economic indicators to bring relief to your economy. So, uh, yes, even though initially we had indicated we were not going to the fund, we've got into a point where some of the domestic expectations that we had, for instance, E-Levy, mm. that we introduced, the domestic, especially our fiscal programs like E-Levy, didn't give us the expected returns. And we all know how E-Levy was fought in Parliament and the propaganda against it. It actually impacted on its implementation mm -hmm. immediately. And once we were not getting the revenues, we will not watch to run down the economy. We had to take the critical decisions to restore uh, the economy. And that is why eventually His Excellency the President uh, directed that we should engage with the fund. Uh, engaging with the fund gives you a number of advantages. First of all, it helps to restore confidence uh, in, your, in your economy. It gives comfort also to investors who have brought their funds into your economy mm -hmm. to believe that uh, you may not default or you are on the right trajectory in terms of uh, your uh, economic um, policies and programs. So we needed that to restore the confidence, uh, and then also to be able to bring our debt to sustainable levels. So these were some of the key factors that uh, eventually had to force us to re-engage with mm -hmm. the fund. By the end of the second quarter, skyrocketing inflation compelled the central bank to ramp up monetary policy rate from 14.5% in January to 19% in June 2022. Depreciation of the city against the dollar also quickened the pace of economic decline and added more pressure to the country's debt burden. Debt levels were so high that many financial experts predicted default for Ghana. Ghana's uh, debt stock, uh, let me say, have been influenced about, by about four key factors. One is the energy sector um, debt accumulation that um, we created then the banking sector cleanup exercise that we carried, uh, which was about 25 billion. And then we are talking about COVID-19 expenses that came. And then lately, the depreciation of the currency. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that much of our, of our debt stock is in 
in foreign currency. So anytime there's depreciation of the CD, even though you have not borrowed money, the debt stock will show increases. But former finance minister Seth Tepe maintains government has no business blaming the economic mess on the COVID-19 pandemic. The point is that you can go and refer to the Article 4, 2019. There was a fiscal gap before COVID. Yeah. That's point number one. So we're saying don't put everything on COVID. Come up clean. Secondly, the current government is the only government. Yes, COVID was severe, no question about it. Severer. But does it, if you minimize somebody's crisis, you wouldn't prepare for the next crisis, which is why, as we sit here, we are not prepared for the next crisis because the sinking fund is, so it is down, will be down to zero. The stabilization fund is just a skeleton of itself. And during COVID, remember, we fell on part of the savings that we had made, mm. right, you know, to assist in COVID, right? Uh, we left 250 million US dollars as from part of the borrowing in the Ghana Infrastructure Investment Fund, together with VAT that flowed, you know, what happened to those, those funds. So you see the buffers that were left yeah. for the government together with three OFLs, right? But the other point, apart from the two points, buffers and then also, you know, um, the three uh, OFLs and the buffers, this is the administration, I would say, which had a crisis, and had approximately six million billion US dollars from IMF, COVID soft loan, IMF, SDR, World Bank, six hundred million, Bank of Ghana, one point seven billion. You can count it. Nearly it's Korea six. too. Korea, yes. China, PPEs and everything to resolve COVID. So six billion. So, so you mean? The cost was already catered for using precisely this. because the cost yeah. was disclosed during the for the COVID loan was three percent of GDP and what we are talking about is more than three percent of GDP because it's about half of what GRE brings. Yeah. And we just saw GRE brings in about if you take it that it brings in fifteen, you know, percent of GDP, you know, which is half of it. So it means you got about seven half of it mm. to resolve COVID. You know, so why continue blaming COVID? And how many African countries borrowed one billion for COVID? And how many African countries went into their own covers, coffers to take 250 million US dollars? Now it's almost 400 million from the stabilization fund, which was bequeathed to tackle COVID. Mm. You see, so we are not belittling COVID. We are only saying a certain candidness is required. It should be more open. Yes, be more open as to the causes. But the main cause is expenditure. Expenditure is bloated, including some of the very ambitious things that we want to do for political reasons. Bright Simmons, on the other hand, believes COVID-19 rather left a footprint of blessings for the country. The government has tried to create the impression that how much we spent was so much that it affected our finances in every other way. But if you look at, you know, overall our social assistance spending versus countries like, you know, Senegal, Rwanda, uh, even the average in, West, in Sub-Saharan Africa, we spend less. And when you look at how we responded to COVID, like the free water, the free electricity, and the rest, even that, we are behind the likes of Kenya, Benin, Senegal, and the rest. We are higher than the average in West Africa, but we are not the highest in emerging markets, and we are lower than several of our competitors 
uh, economies who are doing less bad than we are. So we cannot really blame COVID. You look at how much more Senegal spent, for instance. If COVID spending was the issue, Senegal will have much more of a challenge. And then when you look at the impacts, you know, how much of our economic growth was actually shaved off by COVID. You see that we are there. Look at us. We are top there. Look at our relative effects, 0.2%. Look at countries like Namibia. Look at countries like Myanmar. Look at um, um, countries that have you know, massive shrinking, like Mauritius. And the rest are like major tourist um, countries, you know. In delivering the March-anticipated 2023 budget, Finance Minister Ken Oforiata confirmed the obvious. He officially unmasked the nature of Ghana's debt portfolio. According to him, Ghana was at a high risk of debt distress and the debt levels were unsustainable. Debt exchange program. Mr. Speaker, the debt sustainability analysis based on the macroeconomic outlook has been conducted by the Minister of Finance. It analyzes the country's capacity to finance its policy objectives and services debts. The current debt sustainability analysis conducted reveals that Ghana is now considered to be in high risk of debt distress. Unlike our 16th enrollment in 2015, Ghana's unsustainable debt position was certainly a huge obstacle in obtaining an IMF deal. This means a lot of conditions must be met. According to the fund, in cases where the country's debt is assessed as unsustainable, the IMF is precluded from providing financing unless the member takes steps to restore debt sustainability, including seeking a debt restructuring from its creditors. IMF's message was very simple. Restructure your debt or no bailout package. Ghana was out of the eurobond market and IMF looked like the only option. No more foreign grants and at this point, debt restructuring looked inevitable. Listen, do you know of any good medical school I can take off you to? Oh, Fifi, is that why you're looking all moody? Then I have some good news for you. The College of Medicine and Allied Sciences, COMAS, Accra, Ghana, is a degree-awarding institution, and they offer Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery using the Graduate Entry Medical Programs, Bachelor of Diagnostic Imaging, and BSc Health Information Management. All these programs are accredited by GTEC. Their bilingual curriculum prepares you to consult in French. But I'm worried about admissions. Admissions are ongoing contact us on facebook or on instagram at info.comas or call us on 0208-456-556 or send them an email info at comas.edu.gh comas the citadel of a holistic professional medical education we've had news file over the weekend and uh, an interesting part of the conversation focused oh no we are out of range oh don't worry daddy i have alexa in my bag
Love FM. Live on your Amazon Echo. Listen to your favorite multimedia radio stations live on your Amazon Echo device by saying, Alexa, open Multimedia Ghana, play Joy FM or Hits FM or Love FM or catch up on your favorite podcast by saying, Alexa, play and then the name of your favorite podcast from Multimedia Ghana. For a list of all podcasts available, say Alexa. Ask Multimedia Ghana to browse programs. And we are back like we never lost signal. Alexa, welcome to Multimedia. Have you been to Aqua Safari lately? Let me share my experience with you at the new Aqua Safari Resort. When you arrive, you are greeted by warm smiles and introduced to your 24-hour butler who already has your itinerary sorted. Enjoy water sports activities like jet ski rides, kayaking, water sliding, flyboarding, and castnet fishing. You can even have your lunch here on the boat cruise. Experience horseback riding, tennis, and some golfing amongst a host of other activities. Let the tour guides take you through the sceneries of the Volta River, the mangrove forest, the friendliness of the animals, local and exotic birds, while you pet and feed them. You can have this large space for your conferences, corporate retreats, and so many activities as part of the package. We chose to have our breakfast with a beautiful sunrise right in front of our cabin. We had an amazing experience and I can't wait to return for more. Visit Aqua Safari Eco Resort in Ghana, bringing you closer to nature. Let's turn to Ghana, which is selling the longest dated Eurobond ever issued by Sub-Saharan African government. Finance Minister Ken Oforiata is challenging global investors to put their money behind Ghana's growing economy. Ghana has added 10.7 billion Ghana cities to its public debt stock in just four months. If you go to the market today, you will not get anybody to lend to you below 9.5%. You can't be in the capital markets if you don't have a mechanism for repayment. One basic understanding of the market is that when you come onto the market unattractive, you'll be punished. There will be no haircuts. There will be no haircuts. Instantly, the market knew the president wasn't speaking the truth. Ghana has been in the spotlight after announcing it will default on most of its external debt. Finance Minister Ken Ofoyata indicates that Eurobond holders may face a nominal haircut of between 30 and 40 percent as part of the restructuring of external debt. Discussions with Eurobond investors are continuing. We have given a broad outline of 20 to 40 percent haircut under 20 years. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's more discipline. It's more fiscal discipline. And then also we fell into the habit, if you ask, of borrowing first domestic treasury bills. Mm-hmm. Treasury bill is for liquidity. That's why it's only 90 days, or 91 days. And usually at the beginning of the year, you cannot reduce certain expenditures, wages and the rest. So you borrow short term. You say 90 days, three months. And then for exigencies. Then when the revenue starts coming, you pay off because for only 90 days. Then we started rolling over. The non payment resulted in more borrowing and more borrowing. But we carried, began to carry that fiscal indiscipline to the uh, sovereign bond market. Mm -hmm. So we were issuing only interest only loans and the rest. And then the 10 years caught up with us, which was what we realized in 2014 that we're just paying on the interest, and you can't be in the capital markets if you don't have a mechanism for repayment. Following its exit from the heavily indebted poor countries initiative some two decades ago, Ghana has consistently developed a strong taste for commercial loans from the international capital market, Eurobonds. Typically, securing loans at interest rates ranging from 6% to 11%. Before, we used to have money from IMF, but Germany, Danida, JICA. And then as we said we're going rich, we depended more on international capital markets, got a lot of money from international capital markets, and how we invested is another problem. Each fiscal year, Ghana requires between $1 billion and $3 billion worth of foreign loans to support its budget and address balance of payment challenges. Before the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Ghana government had borrowed $5 billion from the Eurobond market between 2017 and 2019. Repayment was heavily reliant on revenue mobilization, a strategy that did not materialize as expected. Consequently, by the end of 2022, Ghana's total loans from Eurobonds had reached $14 billion with outstanding debt exceeding $13 billion. Even though Ghana was not the first country to get um, the necessary international ratings, credit ratings, in order to be able to borrow from the international capital markets, we were the first to issue in 2007. And since then, we've become one of the largest issuers on the continent. Um, the, re- the challenge that arose was that we started to borrow too much. We know it initially, it appeared as if confidence in the economy was sufficient to continue the cycle. In 2007, Ghana stepped into the international capital market for the first time with the first issuance of $750 million. The then finance minister, Kwejo Redu, returned from London with $750 million and several. The big 
icon of change whose story deserves to be told. To nominate your Impact Maker of the Year, send your entries to impact.makersawards at myjoyonline.com. Let's amplify their stories. The Joy News Impact Makers Awards. Celebrating ordinary people making extra... Moving away from interest only. Out of the 750, we left enough in the second fund, about 250 plus, for the current government to use 200 million to pay off the final installment on that. October 4th, the anniversary 2017, it was two year born. After going fallow for more than five years, Ghana was back to the Eurobond market for more loans. The mills era, we didn't borrow a lot. We borrowed significantly under the Mahama era. And the reason that happened was that the Mahama era was trying to create a new strategy where they can combine IMF programs with international borrowing, which is what Kenya is doing right now. So Kenya gets money from the IMF, but it's all borrows from the international market. And it blends both. It uses one to strengthen its hand in the other. So the Mahama government took that. But you can see evidence that initially, this was the borrowing costs that you know, we're, we're, we're faced with. We hit as much as 10.75% for a very sudden thing before they went back to the IMF in 2015. So by the time they went back to the IMF in 2015, they were been able to bring down the cost of borrowing from 10.75% to 9% and a little, a little above that. So one of the things that is evident is also that international markets tend to look at the IMF programs as evidence of, or rather a source of unbiased analysis. Seth Tepe was finance minister and he led Ghana to its second trip to the Eurobond market to borrow $1 billion in 2013. He returned to the market for more loans in 2014 and 2015 and by the end of the Mahama administration in 2016, Ghana had taken Eurobond loans of up to $3 billion in three years. Actually, I was the minister who, would I say, under the words, to receive the letter from the World Bank and the African Development Bank telling us that we had become a middle-income country. We couldn't borrow and repay over 40 years. We could only borrow and repay over 25 years. When we became middle-income middle country. So that was a cap that was placed on our borrowing? It means that they could they call it moving to harder terms. In 2017, Ghana saw a change in leadership as President Ekufuado assumed meet an existing IMF program, remember, from yeah. 2015. And that program, they had challenges, as I mentioned, managing that program because they were still balancing it with international borrowing at a significant level. So we had what often you call slippages, right? Now, the government had to re would double up and try and comply with the terms that the government had agreed. So to very what it was a, a fairly tough year for the government, right? Because you come and inherit a program, there are already some slippages, the IMF is not that happy. You need to double up and make sure that the program is running properly, given that you intend to do even more on the international capital markets. So you need the IMF data, the IMF analysis, the IMF um, verdict to be even more favorable. 
the IMF board sits um, for hopefully the successful conclusion um, of Ghana's program and therefore an exit. Um, and therefore the market in our mind has overwhelmingly endorsed um, the policies we've gone through the past two years and their comfort um, that going forward the country um, is in a good position to do well. By 2018, Ghana's economic indicators had blossomed fueled by positive economic forecasts and boosted credit ratings resulting from investor confidence following the successful implementation of the IMF program. The Akufuado administration made its inaugural entry into the international capital market. By the close of 2018, the government had borrowed $2 billion through eurobonds. The problem was that we started to rack up the debt very quickly. Ghana is the biggest eurobond borrower if you use its economy as a yardstick, yeah. when you look at the current capacity of its economy, how? Because we moved from $4.5 billion in 2018 to $13.2 billion in a very a relatively short period of time. In 2019, Ghana made its seventh appearance in the capital market, marking a significant milestone by successfully issuing its first triple tranche eurobond offering on the international capital market. So let me first talk about the bond sale yesterday, the 3 billion eurobond sale. We were hearing it was oversubscribed by more than six times. Can you give us an update on how oversubscribed it was and how that sale went? So essentially we came out for 3 billion dollars um, and um, amazingly in three tranches of mm -hmm. seven year um, 12 year and 31 year uh, and all of those were overwhelmingly oversubscribed as I as you mentioned at some point 22 billion dollars uh, ended up at 19.9 in which we closed of 3 billion the decision to launch this triple tranche transaction was influenced by the positive sentiment expressed by the international investor community during 2019 Emerging market EM yields were more attractive compared to those in developed markets, providing emerging economies like Ghana with a favorable opportunity to secure more loans. With that kind of good appetite, I'm bound to ask you, will you come back to the market in 2019? And, and maybe even more so, would you even consider or, or deny that you will go for 100-year bond? Well, I mean, I mean, it certainly gives one reason to pause. Um, you know, there's usually speculation um, that election years are years in which um, countries um, um, sort of bust their budgets. Um, um, right now, I, I think we are uh, comfortable um, with what we have done. We understand the market sentiment. Uh, we usually have a mid-year review um, to see... Uh, how we are doing with the budget and those are when you know we make decisions just before the onset of the COVID-19 lockdown Ghana received strong backing from the capital market a sentiment reinforced by Moody's the international ratings agency which expressed confidence in the country's economy and provided a positive outlook in February 2020 Ghana achieved a significant milestone by becoming the first African nation to issue 
a 41-year bond, a second try tranche on the international capital market. Let's turn to Ghana, which is selling the longest dated eurobond ever issued by a sub-Saharan African government. It has a 40-year maturity and is part of a wider sale, including notes maturing in 2035 and 2027 in order to raise $3 billion. To talk more about this, we're joined by Ken Ofori Atta, the finance minister of Ghana. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us this Thank you, morning. Nara. It's good to be here again. Yeah, great, great to have you here. Um, now, this offer, the Eurobond offer, was five times oversubscribed. Does this mean that you're going to continue to test demand and issue even more longer-term securities? The last time you were here, we talked about a century bond. We did talk about century bond, and last year we tried a 31, which was very successful. We've moved um, 10 years more to 41, so we are nearing it. Um, I think yesterday it was very successful, um, $3 billion in three tranches, 7, 14, and 41. Uh, and uh, we had a $15 billion book um, to, to work with. Um, so clearly the markets have rallied in support of Ghana uh, post-IMF, and that's good indications for the future for us. Ghana accumulated loans totaling $8 billion from Eurobonds. It changed the composition of our debt. Our it changed our debt from one where the majority of the money comes from multilateral and bilateral sources to one where the commercial sources were the most predominant. In the fiscal year of 2020, the $3 billion proceeds were utilized for liability management operations, refinancing energy sector debt, and meeting budgetary requirements. These are the tabulated costs of what it takes to get money from the capital markets, right? Yes, because you've been paying money to lead arrangers, pay money to law, legal firms, pay money to marketing and PR firms. You pay a whole bunch of money. So the money that you get, in the end, you may be paying as much as 7% or more in the market to your advisors. Now, if there are people in the government who have great, good friends in the capital markets, you know, they are friends in your JP Morgan, they are friends in Morgan Stanley, they are friends in Goldman Sachs, whatever, of course, they're going to be happy to pay those fees to their friends. But is that in national interest? In 2021, following the conclusion of the COVID-19 lockdown, Ghana reopened for international trade, yet faced the challenge of a substantial budget deficit. The country's financial stability relied heavily on support from the international capital market. In a groundbreaking move, Ghana became the first African nation to issue a zero-coupon tranche eurobond. By the close of 2021, Ghana had accumulated eurobond loans of up to $11 billion over four years. $2 billion in 2018, $3 billion in 2019, $3 billion in 2020 during the pandemic, and a final $3 billion in 2021. This comes at a time as well when the premium investors have asked to hold riskier assets is rising, in part because of the fallout from the coronavirus. Um, do you foresee if um, we get any more um, of, of concerns around the coronavirus outbreak that this could impact you issuing more bonds or how you think about that? Well, we're not going to come back until next year. Something happened in 2021 when we decided to go to the market twice. Instead of the usual cycle of going once, normally for a $3 billion bond. And when we went the second time, that set off alarm bells because people started to look more closely because it was out of pattern. And then they realized that Ghana was far, far above its borrowing capacity. Um, and therefore, this was rather reckless. In 2022, 
Ghana faced economic challenges as emerging markets experienced soaring coupon rates for bonds, rendering them exorbitant. The escalation of sovereign bond interest rates was exacerbated by tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Consequently, only three countries, Nigeria, South Africa and Angola, managed to issue eurobonds in the first half of the year. Other nations, including Kenya and Ghana, were priced out of the international capital markets due to unsustainable interest rates. When we started getting the downgrades and others, that we better fix it because the domestic market was just too shallow. It was quite clear that we're in too deep and we're in above our heads. And so once the rating downgrade came, that sealed our fate. We could no longer go back to the international capital markets to borrow, at least not on the European market, until we address issues of debt sustainability. You are mindful about the, the cost of assessing capital from the markets, okay? And especially when your, your rating has gone down the way it is, we are almost in a junk territory, right? So one basic understanding of the market is that when you come onto the market unattractive, you'll be punished. For Ghana, the burden of debt servicing obligations, limited to interest payments only, was projected to reach approximately $5 billion at both domestic and external levels in 2023. Unlike its 16th enrollment in 2015, Ghana's unsustainable debt position was certainly a huge obstacle in obtaining an IMF deal. This meant a lot of conditions had to be met. The IMF's message to Ghana was very simple restructure your debt or no bailout package. I also want to assure all Ghanaians that no individual or institutional investor, including pension funds, in government treasury bills or instruments, will lose their money as a result of our ongoing IMF negotiations. There will be no haircuts. So I urge all of you to ignore the false rumors. Instantly, the market knew the president wasn't speaking the truth. You see that right after the president made a statement, the reactions were more or less to reject the statements. And therefore, uh, uh, my expectation is that any investor who probably took a decision on the back of that wasn't an investor, was probably a little doctor. At the external level, Ghana is grappling with severe economic challenges, primarily centered on its balance of payment issues. These problems have led to a depletion of the country's international reserves and resulted in crises such as exchange rate fluctuations. You can't be in the capital markets if you don't have a mechanism for repayment, which is a simple explanation for the sinking fund, which coincidentally is in the constitution, but it's optional. Which means that the framers of the constitution, including finance ministers and others, may have known that there was that weakness and we needed to set it up. Contingency fund in the constitution, we never set it up. So with the advent of oil, the question you asked, we decided let us begin to channel part of the oil revenue, which is new, to resolve you know, some of these things, you know, if you like bad practices. The IMF has pledged $3 billion, the World Bank $1.5 billion, with the remaining $10.5 billion expected to come from external restructuring. 
securing the $10.5 billion debt relief from external creditors poses a significant challenge for Ghana. Discussions with Eurobond investors are continuing. We have given a broad outline of 20 to 40% haircut under 20 years and interest rates of less than 5%. You look at similar restructurings that have been done uh, you know, not too long ago, um, like this, the one that was done by Zambia, which was a very shallow treatment, uh, to be honest with you. In fact, it also included early amortization, which meant that the, the bondholders um, could get paid earlier than anticipated for some of the amount. Uh, on top of that, you know, there was some deferment, but there wasn't the massive MPV cuts that were expected. And now you know that the bilaterals are saying that was too cozy. And they are not willing um, to accept it on the basis of what they call comparability of treatment, which is simply a way of saying that different creditors like to see the burden shared fairly. So in the case of Ghana, we are trying to go the other extreme. We are trying to put all the pain on the private sector. I don't know the extent to which the government um, feels that that kind of hardcore negotiation tactic uh, will, will serve it. The country received the first tranche of $600 million after an assurance from external creditors. However, access to the subsequent tranches depends on passing the reviews contingent on concluding financing assurances with foreign creditors. I don't think the government is that keen on restructuring. Why? very simple. Restructuring itself doesn't help the government. You know why? Because then you have to start paying. Now it's simply not paying. It's paying nothing. Restructuring means you have to pay, start paying something. Unless it can get long deferments so it doesn't pay anything at all. That is not guaranteed. However, assurances help the government a lot. If they get assurances, a letter from the creditor committee they are working with on the bilateral side, so the Paris club plus the non-Paris club members, they get that letter, they get another tranche re, re, uh, released. Next year, they get some assurances from some creditors that progress has been made. They get another tranche released. So they don't necessarily have to make full progress. Certainly, the situation where China holds all of Ghana's collateralized loans positions it as a pivotal player at the negotiation table for debt treatment. This factor is crucial in determining the financing assurances Ghana needs to secure subsequent tranches under the fund program. The truth of the matter is that it's never too clear because as the, as the, the bond um, delves deeper and deeper into junk territory, as it becomes less and less attractive, high, people that buy tend to be high-risk players. And high-risk players want high reward. You get the point. So their appetite is actually higher than the original blue-chip investors that we had. So these are people that bought knowing they could lose a lot of money. So at this point, there's no reason for them to accept um, um, a deep haircut. I mean, because they, they are willing to take the risk of a default. People that are willing to take a risk of a default or continue in default because we are already in default. Um, and their, their mindset is different. They are willing to maintain the state of default until they can get as much money as they can. I think, therefore, that we are underestimating the resolve of the international bondholders to get as much money as they can uh, out of us. Ghana would have access to $600 million in uh, financing to ensure com timely completion of the review. Official creditors and the Ghanaian authorities will need to reach agreement on a debt treatment consistent with the objectives of the program and in line with the financing assurances that creditors provided in May of 2023. Ghana stands at a critical economic juncture where the success 
of its 17th IMF program hinges on substantial debt relief, expenditure cuts, and significant revenue mobilization. And on this episode, we are going to talk about male urethritis. So what is urethritis? Urethritis is an inflammation of the urethra. And the urethra is the tube in the penis where semen and urine flows through to the outside. That is the urethra. And several things can cause this inflammation. Most commonly, it's usually an infection. And less commonly, we can have other things like trauma, catheterization when you go to the hospital or when you have prostate disease and you have to put in a catheter. Sometimes reactions to certain chemicals like spermicides when you're having sex and other things. But today our focus will be on the causes by infection. Basically, most of them are bacteria. The commonest is called Gonorrhea. I'm sure we all know about gonorrhea and the organism that causes gonorrhea is called Neisseria gonorrhea. Followed by that we have one caused by Chlamydia trachomatis. Then less commonly we have the Microplasma, we have the Europlasma, we can have Trichomonas. But we are going to focus more on the gonorrhea and then the Chlamydia. Now these inflammations when it happens or this infection of the urethra usually have a urethra discharge. What is a discharge? A discharge is any liquid aside urine or semen that will come out of your urethra. So if you're a man and you see anything coming out, any form of liquid, whether it is thick or light, coming out of your urethra and then it is no urine and it is not semen, then you have a urethra discharge. Most of the time when you have discharge, you can have some burning sensation or pain or urination. So when you have these things happening, then you're having a urethritis. That is an infection of your urethra. So for the gonorrhea, usually when you have it, it's very sp it happens speedily. Like within three to four days, you realize that you're seeing the discharge and you're having this burning sensation. And you, it's really, really uncomfortable. For the chlamydia, it's usually very slow. It happens slowly over a period of time. And it takes a very long time, but then you realize that, no, this thing has been happening, so let me see a doctor, let me do something about it. The discharge for the gonorrhea is usually white or opaque yellow. And the one for the chlamydia is either watery or mucoid. And sometimes it's usually very small. That is the major differentiation, but you can't just, you know, look at it and say that I have gonorrhea or I have chlamydia. I have to come and see your doctor. Now, these infections are STIs, that is, they are sexually transmitted. 
So for you to have them, then you must have engaged in unprotected sex or you are being promiscuous. That means you are having sex with different other people. And because of that, it is a disease of the young. Most commonly, people between around 25 years or less. They are the ones who usually get this kind of infection. Others can get it, the older ones can get it, but you realize that it's very common in the younger ones and people who have very bad sexual habits. So now when you realize that you have a discharge and you have painful urination, then you should know that you're having an STI. And because it's an STI, it is very likely that you can have other STIs happening like HIV, herpes, syphilis, and all others. So when you come and see your doctor, we'll also try, the doctor will try and eliminate the other causes or other type of STIs as well. So our dear gentlemen, please, if you see any of these symptoms, please rush to your nearest facility, see your doctor and get treated. We have our numbers, our WhatsApp numbers also popping up. You can call us if you need help with anything, if you need guidelines to anything, you can reach us and you can also comment in the section below. Thank you very much for listening to us. God bless you and don't miss any episode. Thank you. Passion is to inform, empower, entertain, and inspire. Join News. Independent. Fearless. Credible. tell each other every day. I Be warned that once you pick up a refreshingly cold drink from McDonald's and people see just how refreshingly cold that drink from McDonald's is, you may create drink envy because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. For a morning brew that really creates a stir, get any size iced coffee, including caramel and French vanilla, for just 99 cents before 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. 
Can I give you 30 bucks to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I'll give you an instant $30 discount. That's 59% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body. And let me give you a $30 instant discount right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and get a $30 instant discount to save 59%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I dot com. Put it on the card. Put it in the bag. These three bags used to be six. Seems like the only thing going up these days is your credit card balance. If only there were some place to turn. Just ask your home. It's got equity. And with Rocket Mortgage, you can use it to get cash quickly for whatever you need. Visit JustAskYourHome.com today. Call 1-800-863-4332 for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org, number 3030. Joy News, we tell your story. You have a story the world should know about? Tell it to Joy News. We are your home of bold, credible, and fearless journalism. I am MFA Apau. She's a nice person, though. Though I haven't met her in person, but she's a nice person. I've been watching her movies. Uh, I think I've been watching her movies um, for a long time, and I see she, she's cool, and um, the way she talks and the way, the way she behaves, I think she, she's cool. She's very creative. Like, as much as I see, he's very creative. Like she, When she's acting, she's very serious and conscious. Like, yeah. <laughs> Amelia <laughs> I'm invading some sort of privacy, but 
check Emilia out. It's not it's not easy to make money, huh? It's not easy at all. Welcome. Thank you. Maybe Baby Baba Kakawa. Maybe Baba Kakawa. Yeah. So we have like 30 years. From uh, a people teacher to an actress, then to a businesswoman. Tell me about this business. Okay, it's actually a sachet water company, company. business. Yeah. I see that it says EBI, Emilia. Yeah. yeah. EBI. So on a, on a regular day, that's what you do, like yes. every day. Yes. If I'm not on set, if I'm not doing any TV or any ambassadorial deal, this is where I am. I'll wake up early, like 5.30, send my son to school, and then I come here. Yes. And these ones, there are some... Um, leakages and all that okay. so you select you clean and you rebag them okay. so that it will be neatly packed huh. yes okay well yeah um, take me round okay there's machine one machine two machine three is there like a different machine four. Oh, there's a machine four here right yeah oh it's like what's the difference between the machines and two. All the machines are doing the same job. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that is the reverse osmosis. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, when we go outside, we will see so many tanks over there. We have three tanks, one for the raw water and one for filtration. Uh, so after the filtration, we'll pass through that process and come to the reverse osmosis okay. and it goes through the sand, carbon, iron, exchange, everything and then it goes all the way and then it comes, comes into, into the, the machine. machine. How safe is EB water? Well, these are the workers. We have the operator around who takes care if there is any fault Oh, and then we take them through, um, what do you call it, um, is it orientation? orientation. So orientation. they know the safety measures and everything. Because the floor is always wet, you need to get your cocks around, yeah. I mean, so that you won't slip. And the factory will always be neat and very hygienic for drinking purposes as well. And you don't, you need to, you didn't cover your hair well. I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't do it well. That's fine, that's okay. You are, you are temporary, so it doesn't matter. That's okay, So we, we actually take them through orientation, safety measures and everything. And we have operators, if there is a problem, they will come around and then they will check it. So we are so safe. Can we have more conversations, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, away from here? When FDA came around to do inspection, yeah. everything was just in order. So we got the approval in, in few. And, yeah. and, and people out there can actually testify. I've been here for just two days. And I can tell you, I can guarantee you that this is the best way to go. I have a studio in this very building. You do? Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.